Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and today it is a real joy to have a First Amendment warrior with us. She's a civil rights attorney, First Amendment attorney, and I hope I get this right, Nora, uh, this... Uh, <laughs> A, a senior <laughs> counsel for uh, Press Freedom or at Free Press. So good. I'm all yeah. of those things. <laughs> uh, so Nora Benavie is with us. She's going to join us and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Stick around. We'll be right back after we pay the bills. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q Podcast. That's J-A-T-Q Podcast. Again, that's at J-A-T-Q Podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. With us today is Norda Benavides. And Norda, I, I, I gave you a big, you know there at the beginning as uh, uh and it's a pleasure to have you here and oh brian it is amazing to be here with you i i you're you're fantastic well thank you so are you and you're one of the people that make it possible for me to do my job without uh without the help from the from lawyers such as yourself you'd be talking to me right now from behind bars that's <laughs> so it's it's always or or uh, you know by smoke signal because nobody would want to have you have me. Oh well, the <laughs> audience should know. I mean, we go way back, you know, and uh, some of the ways that I think your work is important, the access to your work is important. Uh, I'm really glad that we finally get to do this. We have been talking about this for months now. Yes, we have. So I one of the things we talked about before we started today is the failures of the press, and boy, that's yeah. I'd love to spend the next twenty minutes talking about the failures of the press today, but let's start with you. Why, where do you think we failed? Oh, it's such a long answer. So I'm going to talk, you know, first about where I think we've failed recently. And that is around the Arizona audit of the election results from 2020. I just think that the the failures were colossal in the coverage there. And it's a great example of how failures are happening much broader for the institution. You know, for the most part, media covered that election audit and the results confirming that Biden had won in 2020 by saying, oh, these election audit results confirm. The problem is that what those narratives do is they failed to really talk about the disinformation inherent in what was happening with people saying the election results needed to be confirmed. I think that there was a lot of empirical evidence from November There were election officials that were saying, we can confirm that Biden won. And yet Arizona officials and Republicans were saying, we have to conduct an audit. So the framing somehow that these results were legitimate, that they told us something we didn't already know, was like this totally missed opportunity to engage at a deeper level by saying, actually, 
we didn't even need this audit to begin with. This was a sham. This was a total red herring so that we didn't have to talk about something else. Why do you think we failed though? I mean, is that is it because we're inherently stupid? <laughs> well, I would love to think you're not, and I certainly don't think you are. Well, thank um, you. I think that the 24-hour news cycle has made everything so clickbait-y. We have to come up with the quick hits. We have to come up with analysis that seems relevant without taking a beat and saying, how are we situating this headline in the larger democratic issues that we're seeing across the country? Um, and and I, I just think that the media doesn't quite understand or has gotten right that people will implicitly take in what they see. So there has to be a much more- Well, that's because we implicitly take in what we see. Exactly. And, 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 I, I, and, I just, and, and I'm sorry, I'm gonna, here's where I, I, I think we need to drill deeper. I think yeah. the problem is everything that you said, but there's a root cause to it. And that's because- as media has consolidated over the last 40 years, we mm. bought each we bought each other out. We bought each other out. Ronald Reagan made it possible, and every president since then has destroyed uh, the free speech by yeah. allowing us by taking off the guardrails and allowing us to be strictly about. I I maintain that uh, journalism and capitalism is they aren't compatible, and so mm. when when you make it strictly all about making money. Of course, it's going to be about clickbait because it's going to it's going to be what people want to see rather than what they need to see. And then, as we bought each other out, the bottom lines haven't. It, we're now all about the bottom line, and the easiest way to yeah. save money is to hire people fresh out of school, pay them a low wage, and then boot them out after a few years, rather than letting people. Uh, work for three to five years to get experience before they do, you know, they go and cover stuff that's a little deeper. I mean, I run into reporters in the White House all the time. This is their first job in the business. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. shocking to me. There's no, so the ability to be taken in, as you said, you know, that extends to us because we don't have the experience. We don't have the, um, in, I, I guess it's the intestinal fortitude, but it's really just the, the industrial memory. We don't have what we had anymore. Uh, it's not there. Well, and the industry has just declined so much. I mean, look at where we're at. You know, the, I think the internet age affected, of course, the financial models here. It, local papers have closed at alarming rates. I remember during yep. the early COVID days, people were excited just to think, oh, I should turn to a local paper to get information. Because people have so turned to other sources, they've turned to Facebook, they've turned to YouTube, you know, things that I think are more populated with junk content. And journalists are really suffering. So I, part of me feels bad for the industry that so much is hanging in the balance as radios consolidate, newspapers consolidate, yeah. as you mentioned. It, it's a rough, uh, you know, the phrase is news desert and, and there's a real yes. news desert you know, crisis happening, but that doesn't honestly shield reporters from doing more thoughtful engagement with communities. Well, I mean, and, they don't have the, the, I don't think they have, most reporters do not have the education and I mean, education, not in a schoolroom environment, but in real life, they don't have the experience to do what you're suggesting we do. I can't tell you the number of reporters who don't know where to find, how to even develop a source. 
or to how, how to go into a, a, a city council room and, and or, or how to, you know, and cover a city council or to go to the county clerk's office and dig through, you know, uh, filings to find the stuff that you need to back the reports that you're doing or how to fill out a FOIA. All of I that. know. Well, that's tough. <laughs> think, I mean, think about how long it took you to develop like critical listening skills or research, you know, interest to dive into and find sources. There's a lot of emotional intelligence that goes into it. There's also just like a lot of life experience where you have to get to a point where you have enough in you to be able to be present with people and give them the coverage they need. Right. And you can't do that at scale right now. I don't no, think we and, can. And I think you're right about the news desert. There's local newspapers have just ceased to exist. And the best example I can give of how the media consolidation has hurt us is when I was working in uh, Laredo, Texas in the 80s, there were 100,000 people. There were two English speaking newspapers, one uh, Spanish speaking newspaper. There were three affiliates, mm. network affiliates, and one uh, Hispanic network affiliate and three radio stations that did news. I went back mm. here this spring. There are now three times the number of people, 300,000 people. There's one television station, one newspaper. That's it. And three yeah. times the number of people. So we are, we're just disappearing. And so it's much easier for the crooks to run rampant. You know, you can take a look at, <laughs> you can take a look at Congress and see that. <laughs> I know. And, and imagine where people go, you know, when we talk about the media's failures, like some of it's that they're not writing compelling stories, because where do you go if you're not feeling like as a reader, you're given the stuff you want, you're going to turn yeah. to other content. Um, right. So Spanish, look at, I mean, look at non-English media. There is very little Frankly, the stuff I see is so low quality. Ugh. You know, when we think of the hallmarks of journalism, it's just, it's, I wouldn't say it's junk, but like, what's the thing above junk? junk? <laughs> you know, it's like right there right. at the top of junk. Right. Um, it's sort of somewhere like Daily Mail, you know, meets, I don't know, like advertising. <laughs> News of the world. <laughs> exactly. Bigfoot so ain't my baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, God, what else are other media failures? I mean, I think there's a long historical failure for communities of color. You know, in Detroit, I did a research report with my colleagues back when I was at Penn America, and we looked at not only where there aren't papers, but how papers will, how journalists just don't cover the story. So, you know, your podcast is like, just ask the question. Like, that's how I feel about media. I'm like, just write the story. Just like, write what people are talking about. Yes. Um, and ask the questions that people want asked. I, instead of trying to play gotcha and games with uh, public officials. We're so, we're so uh, admiring of, of access and we'll sell our soul just for a ride on Air Force One that we'll mm. forget that what we're there to do. And, you know, the, the title of this podcast comes from something that Helen Thomas told me the first day I walked into the White House. She said, look, don't be afraid to ask a question. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Goes, it does, she said, who cares what the other members of the, you're not there for them. She said, mm. look, it, it doesn't matter what the answer it is. It doesn't matter if they even answer it. But the fact that you ask the question means they cannot deny that it's been put on the record. So oh. just ask the question. I love that so much. I, you know. 
there's sort of a symbolism, like I don't want to get corny here, but the first amendment lawyer in me is just really hearing you. And I'm like, this is what we need more of. There's a phrase I use. I don't, I didn't, we've never talked about this, Brian. I always tell people, I say, just say the thing. Yes. There is a moment and things must be on the record. And when we, when we kind of employ a, like what people think of as like strategic silence or a waiting and seeing a political jockeying, I'm like, it's a detriment to the movement. And uh, so I always say like, just say the thing, like there's a moment and things need to be said. And it's like exactly what you're saying. Yeah. It's a, don't edit yourself sometimes. I mean, it, it, if you're going to be, if you're going to edit yourself, when you ask the, I mean, I'll edit the words in the questions so I can get it in pointedly. But if you're going to sequester yourself before anyone else does, then you're not helping the First Amendment at all. Don't be afraid to ask it. And the other thing I, I tell young reporters that come to me, I, I the thing that bothers me a lot about young reporters in journalism is I, you know, I mentored a lot of them and they would come to me and go, here's what I think. And I would go, I don't care what you think. I barely care what I think. What do mm-hmm. you know? What, what, what can you show me? What can you, and it's, it's, you know, a lot of times in journalism, it's always, we're relying on what other people say, but there are court records, there are documents you can go fishing for that are actual verifiable facts. And we've lost the ability to do that as we chase clickbait, Mm. I think. But that's, I mean, as a first amendment lawyer, you've got to look and just go, what am I defending? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I've defended over the course of my career speech. I do not like, you know, I I mean, I was an ACLU lawyer in my early, you know, baby days as, as an attorney. And I had to defend speech and the idea of really offensive speech because I feel that the principle matters so much. And we've kind of, I think societally we've lost that sense that even if I don't like what you say, I'm going to defend it. I disagree it with what you say, but will defend to death your right to say it. No matter how yeah. that that that's how you keep. I always liken it to keeping. You know, you take the the top off the boiling kettle and let let the steam escape. It's far better to to hear what people say, even if you don't agree with them, rather than to keep them from saying it, and then you don't know what they're going to do behind your back. And it becomes. I, I think when you when you put that top on it the steam boils up and people become, I I think that's one of the reasons why we're a violent society because we don't listen to each other. We don't listen to what people have to say, even if we don't like it, we'll cancel them. (laughs) It used to be, I I disagree with- Don't get me started, Brian. Go, go girl. Oh (laughs) man. Well, you know, people use that phrase as something when they're hurt and when they feel they have a right to something. And um, I actually think, hey, say the thing, but you're not free to say something absent consequences by others, which is really what cancel culture is. Um, So I find it a little bit of like a non-starter concept that's gotten so much attention over the last few years. It also carries with it, I think, this like undercurrent that there is a zero sum game when it comes to speech, that there is only so much speech that all of us can have or speak ourselves. So if you're speaking, maybe that could potentially limit my ability. And if you're speaking and people don't like it, then all of a sudden, what do you do? You're like, oh, well, I'm going to take up less of the pie um, because I don't want the consequences of the thing I'm saying being horrible. And that's like a very new phenomenon that I'm seeing. Um, yeah, it makes, com- makes comedy tough. 
I know. <laughs> <laughs> because comedy is offending people. I mean, at some point or other. But to your, uh, what you said earlier about diversity, there was a thing that Ben Bagdikian said from the Post years ago. And, and he said, you can't really have true diversity in journalism until you have diversity of ownership. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's with the consolidation of the media, that's not happening. That's, I mean, the boardrooms are all the same and they're all addicted to the bottom line. And I don't see the diversity of, of ownership today, which we need. I, I see oh. a lot of panel shows on all the networks that look the same, just a bunch of people yelling at each other for a few minutes. And we end the damn show the same way we started it. We haven't solved anything. We haven't discussed anything, but we yell at each other real good for, you know, 15 to 20 minutes. I know I've been a part of them. I'm so glad you bring it up. You know, at Free Press, we have a project called Media 2070, which is a media reparations program to try to kind of repair and reconcile how the media has failed us. And specifically the way anti-Black racism has really been this undercurrent shaping all of our media ecosystems. Um, And so I think that the diversity question is one that we are nowhere near solving, but one that we have to. Where It's it's not African-American, it's LGBTQ, it's it's women, it's Hispanic women, it's Hispanic males, it's it's Asian-Americans, it's everybody. If you're not white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant, if you don't I mean, when they say when when uh, Trump said make America great again, I knew damn well what he meant. It was make America white again. And that's that was what frightened me. And that's what frightens me about media, or the media landscape is I don't think we do justice to the diversity of our country with a lack of diversity in the media. Well, you know, I'm Latina. It's Hispanic heritage. Heritage Month. One day, pretty soon, we're going to be a majority in this country. And I think about how little I see of journalism written by Latinos, um, written for Spanish-speaking audiences, written for immigrants from different countries. Getting back to the junk comment, you know, yeah. and and we're we're in a moment where I'm just sort of like, what gives? Like, who? who do we turn to other than ourselves to be able to talk about why this matters? So you as an ally, then I hear you saying this. I'm like, yes, we need a lot of top leader voices building what I think is like this steady drumbeat, you know, like this is important. We need diversity. We need it for these reasons, linking it to democracy. Yeah. I I think what we need to do is bust up the media monopolies (laughs) and make more and, and create more independent press that's independently owned by uh, by a diverse group of people instead of the, the kind of van- vanilla pudding that we have at the top of the, I mean, when I got into this business, 80% of what you see reader here was uh, owned and operated by maybe 24 companies. Today, mm-hmm. it's estimated that 90, more than 90% of what you see reader here by five. That's yep. the problem. That in a nutshell, I think that, but I don't know that you're, and I've approached every president since I Reagan about this and they all look at me like, you know, I've got a carrot at the end of my nose. I mean, but that's to me is if you're going to, when Biden says he supports the first amendment, well, how far will you take that? Will you bust up the media monopolies? Will you enable a diversity of ownership? And it's not even, it's even more than a diversity of of, uh, races and and religions. And and it's an, it's a, it's a diversity of thought. 
We don't have yeah. that diversity of thought in, in what we do. Everyone, you, you, everyone covers, like you were talking about Arizona, everyone covers every story practically the same way. If, if, it, if someone breaks it, the first person out sets, you know, frames the argument and everybody falls into that frame. And we don't look outside that, you know, if, if why, why, why do we, why did everybody do the story about a missing girl from, you know, who, who ends up and her boyfriend was, I mean, this took over the media for a week. And I've done, you know, I was at America's Most Wanted. We did far more horrific stories. I can, and, and with, you know, white, black, you know, uh, uh, different types of, you know, different a range of, of people. I don't know why that story, other than the fact that maybe she had a following, you know, uh, on TikTok or whatever, that I don't know why it garnered so much uh, attention. And I don't know why we we dug into it like we did, but everybody just fell in the same hole and went on down the chute. Yeah. Well, I want to go back to the, the merger thing, because I actually think, you know, we're not as far away from something as we think. And my big push is I've been, yeah, well, <laughs> I, I really believe we have to start funding media more and that it should come from public funding, which is like the corporation for public broadcasting. Ah, so um, you've read my book. <laughs> <laughs> you've probably read all my reports on this because yeah. I, I, I believe I'm like this, you know, it's beating a dead horse for me, but you know, I, I think it has to come probably from advertising online. Um, you know, advertisers are just pushing junk, pushing misinformation, which you and I'll probably get to, I think, you know, pushing different things, not being taxed for any of these types of junk content. And the news on social media platforms is like now the go-to for people. That's how they're yeah. consuming everything, which is horrible. And if we're supporting local media, really localized independent media, um, they can't be in that funding, uh, you know, feast or famine where they're getting grants to do their work, like local nonprofit outlets. They can't be worrying about what's when they're going to get funding, how they're going to lay or furlough people, uh, you know, lay them off. So I think we have to start finding public funding mechanisms by treating news as a public good, by saying people are better and more engaged. They're more informed. They vote more when we have media. Let's create something that can fund media because oh, we know it's a public good. Absolutely. Let's go back to, you know, the Courier Journal, Louisville Times, and one newspaper I worked at when I was fresh out of fresh off the choo-choo. And they had a whole process for vetting uh, candidates that ran for office. And getting that endorsement from that newspaper meant everything. And they they went and you didn't you may not have liked the courier, but you would tout it as a as a politician. I got endorsed by the Courier because you met with six or eight people in, in the editorial team. They did an extensive background check on you. They interviewed you about everything that you had ever gone through in your life. And boom, then then you would get an endorsement. They went out in 1980, I want to say 83, 84. And um, the next uh, election cycle, when they weren't around vetting people, we ended up with Mitch Mitch McConnell. So that's, there's, there's a reason why you need to do it. Anyway, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the wonderful wide world of myths and disinformation. Stick around. It's Just Ask the Question. We'll be right back. 
Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. Seriously. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. At least I, I think so. Let me check. And with this is more Benavides. No, I wanted to ask you, where's your family from? Uh, oh, sure. Well, I'm from LA, but my family is from Mexico, Spain, and Ireland. Where that is so Ireland? many generations ago. <laughs> That's, yeah, I have some of my family from Ireland, too. Uh, most of it's uh, Lebanese, but we're in Mexico. Um, near Oaxaca. Oh, I know where that is, actually. Yeah. yeah. It, it was so long ago, though, and a lot of my family came from Spain to New Mexico, and then the New Mexico family met the Mexico family, and there's a... You're it, an American sort of family like the rest of us. Let's exactly. Yeah. I'm yeah. a mutt. Wolf. Yep. <laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit about mis- and disinformation, and there is a difference between the two, but your experience, you're, you're working a lot on that now. What do you think the biggest problem is in American media today with disinformation? Oh, I think the big problem is that people don't know it's a problem, actually. You know, you and I spend a lot of time. And when I talk to journalists, they're totally intimately aware of mis and disinfo. Most people are trying to like feed their families. They're trying to keep their job. Maybe they know someone who has COVID. In the middle of all of it, it's, it's just this really far away concept. People are like, I saw that in the headlines of some newspaper I didn't read. And it doesn't feel relevant. It doesn't feel like something that's affecting me whenever I talk to people. Or, and this is the other area, is that I think the problem that we often see if people are aware of the problem is that they think they're immune to it. You know, it doesn't affect me, actually. It just affects people I know of over there, you know, and people will call whatever those other people are something. It's like, oh, those are extreme far left activists or these are far right people and they're crazy. And that's the type of language people use when, in fact, we're all vulnerable and we're in this like high volume ecosystem. You know, it's like information everywhere. I don't know what your Facebook feed looks like, Brian. Maybe it's a wonderful place. Like, I don't know. Um, maybe I would want to visit your Facebook feed. But I have a pretty fun Facebook feed. It's not littered with, you know, fake news and disinformation. Sometimes people share things that are false and they don't mean to, and maybe they delete them or not. But, but I have a fine Facebook experience. Um, not everyone does. And a lot of people are sharing horribly misleading, um, you know, I mean like taking stuff. like taking horse dewormer will cure COVID. I, <laughs> I've, I've never seen that on my own feed. And I know because I do work with communities that people are really sharing that they're sharing it in encrypted apps like WhatsApp. Yeah. They're sharing it, you know, in family stories. They're saying, oh, have you thought about taking this horse, uh, you know, medication for your COVID? Um, so finding the root of the problem is really hard. The other problem I think is that 
what we've now learned finally is that the platforms where a lot of us get information like Facebook or YouTube, they are amplifying the worst stuff. Yes. So it isn't just that the stuff exists. You know, it's not like, oh, Brian shared something and, you know, Nora saw it or Nora didn't even see it, right? Right. It's that Brian could have shared a hateful, toxic message and that's what gets boosted for people to see more than other content. Yeah, 300,000 yeah, 300, people saw it and maybe 10,000 of them shared it and then 10,000 of those shared it. And so it spreads like a cancerous stain. Um, but yeah, like, like what kills me is I actually had a conversation with someone who said, I did my own research for, mm. you know, I go, what did that research consist of? <laughs> what, what, what exactly you? did you do to, to research whether or not the vaccine worked? Because the people I talk to are doctors <laughs> and research scientists. Did you just check out a video on YouTube? Yes. And I go, well, that's not really doing research. It's, it, that's, see, yeah. and that's, there's a simple, the disinformation is the purposeful spread mm. of the lies. The misinformation, I think, is the passive, you know, people don't check and they just assume that it's correct and they're spreading misinformation. But there are people who are actually deviously trying to spread this information. And the one that I don't get is there are people who tell me they don't trust science, correct? I, I don't trust the scientists. So yeah. I'm going to take this horse dewormer. I go, well, the scientists created the dewormer for horses. You trust that. But scientists created a vaccine for humans and you don't trust that. I think that there's a, a problem because of so much misinformation and disinformation that sometimes people can't evaluate what's factual and what isn't anymore. And not only that, but people want to pick and choose to <laughs> yeah. find the facts that fit their beliefs. Yeah. So I'm glad you like honestly just lay out that there are big picture mechanisms like disinformation. There are the bad actors. There are what I call these maligned activities, the kind of, you know, villainous thing you might picture in a movie. There is that happening yeah. for sure. And those are tactics to basically make all of us lose trust in the electoral process, to maybe lose trust in public health officials. But then there's the other thing you're talking about. And, and that's where we're all, we have a kind of bias. And instead of debating and saying, Brian, you can maybe change my mind on something. I also have my opinion. Instead, it's like, no, I'm going to get armed with the facts that support my random, crazy, wild belief. And I will just double down till the end of time on that. Yeah, that's, well, I love the ones that say, I don't believe in science. And I go, does the earth revolve around the sun or does the sun revolve around the earth? They go, well, of course, I, I, I know that, you know, earth revolves around the sun. I go, well, science 2000 years ago said the opposite. So if you don't believe in science, what are you telling me? <laughs> Some of the best journalists who I think were aware of this problem from the, you know, for years are climate change and climate yeah. journalists, because a few years ago when I started getting involved and just like what is happening with this disinformation phenomenon, I, I talked to these journalists and they were like, oh, we've been dealing with this for years. Whether you call it fake news or conspiracies, like the need to disavow yourself of leading experts is also a kind of bravado. It's a very weird psychological thing. I don't get it. I'm a lawyer. I tell people I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. I don't get it. 
Um, but you know, it's, it's going to get worse in 2022. And that's part of what I thought you and I can talk about is, go you know, for it. I, I, this is my favorite thing. This is what I always am like, I'll run the circuits. I'll do whatever. Here's what we're up against next year. We're going to have a redistricting process. Yes. So add that to the file of media failures. Media is not covering this issue yet. And they should, this is going to decide our electoral maps for at least a decade, probably, you know, where you're voting, what county you're voting in. Um, And Republicans are rigging this process. So in several places, they are basically making sure to manipulate the district. Media isn't covering that. We're going to have a midterm election, and that's going to determine our Congress. Uh, Democrats will probably lose the Congress because of their various, uh, hold on. Sure. That's okay. So the midterm elections will absolutely determine what happens with the Congress. I think we're going to lose it. You know, Democratic presidents often are a place where we lose a Democratic Congress. Um, We're also in the middle of the pandemic still. So to me, this is kind of like a perfect storm where disinformation and other misleading stuff online can flourish. I mean, it will bloom. And whether it is a question of how immigrants are coming here to steal jobs, that's a common narrative. While also being on welfare. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I love that, Brian. Yeah. (laughs) You know, whatever the, the lie is, it's to make us feel less connected to each other, to lose any empathy we would have had, and to feel like institutions where votes get counted or vaccines get developed are failing us. So it's just going to be like 2020, but I think on overdrive, really kind of like a steroids version where every single issue will have cluttered junk and we have to sift through it. Well, Nora, that's kind of frightening because I thought 2020 was on steroids. Now you're telling me I'm going to be on New Jack City in 2022. Brian, you better gear up. You better, you know, play some music, do your band, like whatever (laughs) your your moment of zen is, because it's going to be serious. And, uh, And I think about it every day. I mean, you know, I love the work I get to do. I think about how we try to get policies that make people feel safer online, um, how the platforms can be accountable, really big issues, but it's just going to take a long time. Well, with, it, the failure, with the failure of the media and with misinformation and disinformation, that almost sounds like you're talking about an insurmountable problem in 2022. Do you have any hope? Well, one hope I have is that 2020 saw, to me, a lot of really good media coverage, actually local, like hyper-local media, um, did a very good job of giving voters what they needed, you know, to kind of like telling stories before an issue became a problem. So if you were an immigrant wondering about whether you could vote, a lot of good media was telling those stories. Uh, Black voters, you know, worried about certain issues in Ohio, amazing engagement journalism to cut people's doubts before they even really cropped up. And I was, I was really impressed. I think there's also just going to have to be a lot of information sharing for advocates, you know, about like what this problem looks like to get out the vote, to do all the things that we wait until, you know, two months before an election to talk about. We're going to have to start talking about all of that now. So I was excited to come here with you to begin socializing all of these issues to say like, hey, we got to tell our friends, you got to tell your family, 
if you're using your Facebook and it's that happy place, talk about it there, you know, like make people curious. We've lost curiosity. Well, I think we've, I, I think, and empathy. I think the big thing we've lost is empathy for one another. Um, and I think that the both handed uh, type of reporting that we do, we try to show both sides. Look, sometimes there's more than two sides. Sometimes there's only one side, you know, the Holocaust did happen. Man did land on the moon. There's, you know, the earth is not flat. There's no other side to those issues, but we always try to uh, err on the side of caution and reporting. And I think that allows misinformation and disinformation to uh, propagate. And then I think that in regards to what you're saying, I think that helps add to the uh, lack of curiosity and lack of empathy. So I, I totally go back. Agree. Yeah, I go back to what you. I, I you know, just asking the question: <clears throat> Can we get out of this by 2022? Oh my gosh, no! I mean, we can't. And do you remember in the 90s the kind of big cultural shifts we saw around tobacco? The yeah. idea that smoking was actually causing harm. I feel like that's where we're at now with this weird. I call it an ecosystem, but it's like this big unknown universe of of digital conversation. Like we don't know what's happening, but we know that we need to figure out some solutions. And, uh, and I think it's like tectonic plates have to shift. People have to become aware. You have to talk about it and not worry that we're gonna get shut down for having an idea. Like innovation is needed, conversation is needed. And I'm so glad you bring up empathy because I end up feeling like I'm always talking about empathy and very corny. No, it's uh, not, it's very human. It's, it's central to everything. We've lost the ability to listen, you know, and to really like, just sort of sit with things and, and think about where someone else is coming from. So in the ways that disinformation polarizes us, it's because it plays on literally our lowest base behaviors. Yes. Oh God, you're so right. <laughs> you know, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Damn you, you're out there, you're evil. You don't agree with me, so there's something wrong with you is is where we're at and like i said it used to be i disagree with what you say and will defend to death your right to say it today we are at a place where i disagree with what you say and because i disagree with you i shall kill you that's it that's where we're at and that's frightening in and of itself that total lack of empathy we're going to take another short break and when we come back we'll finish up with nora thanks for being here we'll be right back In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, it's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with us is First Amendment attorney, advocate, and, uh, well, all-around uh, superhero. Ah! <laughs> you have to stop complimenting me. I paid you for that, and no one should know, right? <laughs> yeah. But you are. People like you are my heroes, because um, we don't, the work that we do in the field as reporters could never be sustained without the work of people like you. And, you know, Ted Boutros, when he defended me for when I, when they try to yank my press pass at the white house, um, ended up 
shoring up the rights for all reporters. So, you know, it's not just about what one individual reporter does. It's about, you know, the whole idea of, you know, free speech. So I guess I'll finish this with the free speech question. I always like to ask a free speech advocate. I had a feeling it was coming. Uh -huh. <laughs> what, I guess it's twofold. What would you like to see more than anything else done to enhance free speech in the United States? As you know, we're only like the 40 out of, uh, we're ranked like 48th freest uh, mm -hmm. in, the, in the world, according to Reporters Without Borders. What do you think is the number one thing that needs to be done to bolster uh, free speech in the U.S.? And then this, I guess the second part of that is if you could have a wish list of anything that you would love to see in the media, what's the number one thing you would like to see? Well, I guess I'll try to answer the question about free speech first. My dream list is difficult. Um, I think that everything all of us do <laughs> is central to free speech. For, the First Amendment is first for a reason, that everything we're doing in our democracy, how we connect with each other, um, how we arrive at our opinions, that all comes out of our ability to engage. And unfortunately, the big problem I am seeing is that state legislators around the country are trying to roll back those rights, whether it is restrictions on voting, which is in yes. many ways a First Amendment issue, or restrictions on protest rights, even restrictions now on the ability to teach critical race theory in schools. These are facts. like, <laughs> I mean, it, it does, it all ties to facts and it's, it's yeah. all predicated on lies. So I, when I hear that question, I'm like, we need legislators who are listening because when I hear activists and communities and journalists, you know, putting their bodies, their voices on the line, they say, these laws don't reflect us. And yet we're seeing this, I call it an anti-democracy movement, which is trying to roll back your yeah. rights as a journalist, my rights as an advocate, you know, a protester's rights to just exist and speak out on the sidewalk. Um, so I'd love to see an end to that kind of censorship. That, that would, that's, that's a wonderful, <laughs> that's a wonderful thought. And your wish list? My wish list. Oh, my wish list is that we are all able to live more dignified lives, which means we need access to really diverse news where it, it isn't playing to our lowest common denominator and it isn't clickbait, which means interviews, interviews with interesting people doing inspiring things. You know, you don't really know what's possible until you kind of see some example of it. And we don't get enough of those great stories. So I'd love to see that. And then I would love to see a major policy victory where we are finding ways to fund local media all over the country where native americans there. yeah native americans who don't have internet like we need media coverage for those communities we need it for rural americans in places all over the country there are different places that are in desperate need um and i would love to see that kind of diverse media doing just the good work, like the sweat, the, the knocking on door stuff. That's, you know, I have one I'll add to that. I would love if people would actually understand what a First Amendment violation is. When two people disagree and I tell you to shut up, I'm not, I'm not keeping you from your First Amendment rights. We're just two idiots arguing. When the, when the government says you cannot speak, when the government sanctions speech, 
that's a violation of the First Amendment. And I don't think that many people understand that it's the government that we have to be afraid of, or not not afraid of, but cognizant of when we're when we're struggling for free speech. And so when Donald Trump says, as president, my free speech is being violated, no, it's not. That's, <laughs> you're the president. You when he said that, I said you have, you're the president. You have a bully pulpit who's keeping you from speaking. That's, but people buy into that, and so I'd like to see if we just actually understood the definition of terms first. Oh, uh, I love that. Yeah, I love it. That would that be the First Amendment? The first thing I like is the definition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but listen, I appreciate you being here. I know you, you have things to do, and I'd love to have you back and go into greater depth sometime if you're free to do it. But this. Was oh, I would love fun. that. I, you got. I really you know, just say it. the thing. Just ask the question. I'll just ask it. it. I'm just asking you. <laughs> right. Thanks for having me, Brian. You yeah. are. Um, you're one of the reasons I love my job. You know, I get to defend. People like you, I get to fight for your ability to give people news. It's really exciting. So it's a team effort, baby. It's a team effort. All of us together. (laughs) We'll just close up. But this is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Thanks for joining us. And if I can get to the button to say so, there you go. We'll catch you next time. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast.